Hey, uh, if, you, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Open it to the book of Galatians. If you're visiting with us this morning again, or if this is your like, first time to UPC or first time in a long time to UPC, welcome. Welcome back. Glad to have you. My name is Rick. I'm the lead pastor here. I, I'm not sure whether what Steve said was supposed to be a shot about the PSC. I, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> He's probably right. Um, and, and if you're new to a Reformed church, you know you're in one when someone says that you need to know the word salvific <laughs> and uses the word lexicon when talking about uh, youth ministry. Um, we're taking uh, the next several months to walk through this letter that uh, one of the early Christian leaders named Paul wrote to a church, or rather churches, in this this, this area that he called Galatia, that the Romans called Galatia, that we call southern Turkey. And we're doing this because, well, for a number of reasons. First and foremost is, like, I'm new here, right? And it seems like a good place to get started because in it, Paul is making sure that we're all on the same page of what it is that um, is the central message of Christianity. What is the gospel? And what is the gospel in light of the fact that there are some challenges? And those challenges are basically that people are trying to add something to the finished work of Jesus. And Paul, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, is adamant, right? Like he's, in in what we're going to see even even, um, in like two more weeks is like he's he's almost like angry uh, that that people are, are so quick to abandon the God who's called them by His grace by adding all these other things to it. This week, whereas the last few weeks Paul has kind of just laid out, here's the problem I see, and I can't believe I'm seeing it, this week we come to a point at which he's starting to defend himself, which maybe gets us a little uncomfortable. Um, But the reason he's defending himself is because of our normal way of doing things. It is the easiest thing in our minds to discredit the message by discrediting the messenger. So if you have your place in Galatians, uh, we're in chapter 1, verses 11 through uh, 24, if, you, if you'd stand in honor of God's word. This is the word of God. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, when he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, 
And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me? Jesus, it is uh, the easiest thing in the world, especially if you've been a Christian a long time, to believe that there is something else we need to do. Some behavior we need to run to, some theology we need to believe, some words we need to say on a Sunday morning, some way we need to worship. It's so easy to add something to your work and to not even know we're doing it. So I pray that not only this morning, but every morning as we're in this book, you would unveil our hearts. Help us, indeed, have that same kind of revelation of Jesus Christ that Paul had. Not the same one. We're not, none of us are looking for anything like that. We just want to see him and to have ourselves revealed in seeing him. And so I ask that you would do that through your word this morning. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. So at the risk of alienating half the group in the room, um, which always happens when you start with a story or some kind of illustration, um, in the movie Gladiator, uh, if, you, if some of you will remember this, it was a great movie, ladies. I know it was a little bloody, but it was great. Uh, in the movie Gladiator, it begins with the Roman general, right? And our Roman general is out on the fields of Germania, and he's awaiting word from the opposing army to, the, to answer the demand of Rome for their surrender. Remember this? And he's standing there, and he's going out among his troops, and then all of a sudden a call goes out, and there's a rider coming. It's his rider. His, his guy's coming back from offering terms of surrender to the, 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 Germ, the Germans, the Germanic tribes. Unfortunately, he's coming back with a rather important piece of his body missing, right? And Maximus' answer is, they say no. Killing the messenger. Killing the messenger is still what we do today. Think about it. Think about your time on social media. And listen, let me help you here. No one's mind has ever been changed on social media. I'm just going to, and someone's going to go, no, mine was. I don't know. I'm going to think it wasn't. But what normally happens, what normally happens in our uh, political discourse, what normally happens in college classrooms, what normally happens in high school classrooms, we, a point is made, and instead of arguing with the point, we begin to argue with the person, right? Any of my teens know what kind of argument that's called? Ad hominem, thank you. I did hear it. It was whispered. Ad hominem. I don't want to stand out. But yes, yes. That's, and we attack the messenger, and we do that because it's so effective. That's why we do it. And that's what's going on here. Paul's authority has been challenged, and by a challenging Paul, you challenge everything he said. By discounting Paul, you discount everything he said. And, and now he has to defend himself so that he can defend his gospel. It's not because he's got an ego trip. He, he's like, I want people to understand what I'm saying, and if I'm going to do that, you have to understand why I said it. And so, 
he digs into a little bit of his story. And so that's what we're going to be digging into today. We're going to look at his resume, we're going to look at his defense, and then we're going to talk about messages and messenger, okay? Now, let's start with his resume by engaging his critics. Look, look down at verses 11 and 12. Paul says, I would have you know, brothers, the gospel preached by me is not from man. It's not man's gospel, he says in the ESV. I didn't receive it from man, nor was I taught it. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's what's going on. We said this a couple times. I'm going to keep saying it so we understand the context. Scholars will tell you that what is going on in, in this uh, the, the circumstances surrounding this letter, Paul came in, he planted these churches, which is, which is Christian speak for meaning he started them from scratch. There were no Christians in these areas. He, he went in, he preached the gospel to people, they became Christians, and then he started up these churches. And, and as he started up these churches, he taught them things, but he, could, he didn't stay long, right? His time there was short, and then he would raise up leaders, and then he would move on and, and kind of leave it to the leaders to lead the church. Right? And he'd move on and move on. And as he moved on, another group of teachers began to come through. And as they were coming through, the kinds of things that they were saying were challenging Paul. Right? There was, the basic idea is this. Paul's mistaken. Right? He's teaching that you Gentiles, and, and Gentiles, you have to understand, is the Jewish word for everyone else. Okay? Everyone else. You've got Jews and Gentiles. So he would say, uh, you've got to understand, Gentiles, you you can't follow the Jewish Messiah without becoming Jewish, right? Yeah, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, the Christos, like, yes, he is central, he is good, you have to do this, but you understand he's Jewish, right? And, and, the, and God sent him, came to answer his promise to rescue the world through Abraham's family, so if you want to become, you want to be part of this, you've got to become part of Abraham's family, and here's the way you do it. Guys, snip, snip. You know, now you got to eat the right things. No more bacon. It turns away half the people right there. <laughs> like, no more, no, you know, you got to do the right things. And the people in Paul's churches are responding, but that's not what Paul said. And they're saying, listen, who is Paul anyway? Did he come from Jerusalem? Is he one of Jesus' disciples? Listen, he probably just misunderstood. I'm sure he meant well. He just misunderstood what was taught, or, or, or better, he's trying to water down God's demands. He's just trying to be kind to you guys. He's just watering it down. This makes sense, right? Listen, it's not as if it's a rare thing for there to be guys up on a stage like this spouting things that are just, with all, some of them with very good intentions, but it's just wrong. Okay? It happens. It happens. But what, what is going on here with Paul is what always happens when true Christianity meets religiosity. When true Christianity meets religiosity, especially Christian religiosity, it sounds a lot like this. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, faith in Jesus, faith alone in Jesus is great, but you know there's other, these other things too, right? Like you got to do this stuff. You got to do these things. I mean, come on. Got to act like a Christian. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's follow my rules. This is the what it means. So look at Paul's first defense. His first defense is to say, look, I didn't get this from, from dudes. I didn't learn this from any random dude. I get this straight from the mouth of Jesus. And this is important for us to understand right at the gate. Paul is saying very clearly that the gospel that he preached came from the mouth of Jesus. Like it was revealed to him by 
Jesus. This isn't like a game of telephone, right? You sit in the sit around circle and whisper something to the person next to you, and it keeps going around. Everyone giggles when it comes to the end because you started with like, "I want to buy a bag of tomatoes," and you ended up with, you know, Florida State isn't as good as Florida. Like, it's not. That's not the way this works. Paul. Paul isn't several people removed from this. He received it from Jesus. That word that Paul uses, a revelation of Jesus Christ, that is a very, very loaded and particular word, right? And, and most of us have, a, the only real familiarity we have with that word comes from the last book of the Bible, right? The book of Revelation, not Revelations, Revelation, right? And that word means it's the word we get apocalypse from. It is a, a, a revealing, literally a tearing away of the veil so that you can see what God is up to. That's what that word means. And so literally what Paul is saying is that in that moment, I'm, I, I met with Jesus and he pulled away the veil to show me the gospel. He revealed to me his gospel. Paul's saying, look, that's me. I wasn't looking to be a missionary. Jesus came to me. Jesus revealed this to me. I didn't investigate. I didn't weigh options. I didn't balance out my doubts. I was one day here. The next day, Jesus came to me. He ripped open a veil and showed me who I was, who he was, and God's purposes in the world, and everything changed. That brings us to verses 13 to 15 with his being an unlikely missionary. Look there. Paul's getting into a story. He says, you have heard. And when he says you have heard, he means you've, you've heard from me. It's not like you've heard me tell, in other words, of my manner of life in Judaism, that beyond measure, I know this is a little different from the ESV, just follow me, that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God. Okay, so stop there. I think many of us, and especially if you're not a Christian here in, in the room this morning, and not everybody is, that's cool, we're really glad you're here, but a lot of our images of early church leaders, we kind of figure that they're like, good little church boys who kind of came into this and they, they were raised up as good little churchy kids. And then as churchy kids, they became church leaders because isn't that what church leaders are? They're just, they're just kind of grown up in this or, or, or good little boys or that they're just kind of guys looking for a buck, right? Looking for money and power. Ooh, boy, did we fall into that one. But here's what Paul says. Paul says, I wasn't a disciple of Jesus. I was trying to destroy the church and doing so worse than anyone else was, right? In, in, in uh, the book of Acts, which is uh, the fifth book of the Bible, or fifth book of the New Testament, sorry, fifth book of the New Testament, um, we are introduced to this guy by the name of Saul, who later would become Paul, and Saul was just this piece of work, right? Here's what we know about him. He grew up in a college town called Tarsus. Tarsus was a college town, right? It was a place of great learning, uh, his father was a Roman citizen, uh, which meant his father probably um, purchased his citizenship, which means his family had means. Paul was born a Roman citizen. He got a great education. We know from, from just what we have recorded of him, which isn't a ton, that he was very familiar with Greek and Roman literature. He was familiar with lots of different stuff. And then at some point in his life, he was sent to study in Jerusalem under the great uh, Jewish rabbi named Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a Pharisee, which means Paul was trained as a Pharisee. I know that doesn't mean a ton to a lot of us, but here's what it means. It was a particular branch of Judaism that in response to 
uh, the, 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 <laughs> the official clergy that they saw as corrupt, right? None of us see that, right? But in response to the official clergy that they saw as corrupt and, and being Roman sympathizers, they became super serious, not about the temple and all that stuff, because that's, that's, that's the clergy part. They became super serious about the Bible and God's law. And they became so passionate about it that what they wanted to do was to purify Judaism from all of the influences of the outside world. And to do so, they said, we need to help all of Israel not just obey the law, but let's make sure that we don't ever come close to disobeying it. So we'll put these fences around it, not literal fences, metaphorical fences, just so that we don't ever, we're, we're violating, if we violate anything, it's not, the law, it's not God's commandments, it's a command that we put about 50 yards out of God's commandments. You with me? When Paul says that he was extremely zealous in this, for the traditions of his father, that's code language. In, the fir- in first century Judaism, to be zealous for something wasn't to really, really like it, right? You could be zealous today for like, uh, I don't know, a band. You can be zealous for a lot of things. In first century Judaism, to be zealous for something meant that you believed that violence was an option for purifying Judaism. That it was a viable option. So when Paul says that he's zealous, what he's saying is, and by the way, if you, if you go back and read Acts, you'll find that he parted ways with his teacher on this, that he believed that it was worthwhile to use violence as a force to purify Judaism just like someone that they loved, this person named Phineas in the book of Numbers, who is, who is, is said in that book that he was zealous for the ways of the Lord and did the same thing. So these Pharisees that were zealous wanted to be latter-day Phineases, dare to be a Phineas. There he was. And Paul is saying, that was me. I hated them. And I hated them so bad that I wanted nothing more to destroy idolatry, to destroy all of this. And that's what he thought Christians were doing. They were were messing up the Jewish faith. They were worshiping Jesus falsely. So he went town to town, house to house, and either dragged them into prison or had them killed. This is what he did. And he thought, I am serving the Lord. He's advancing in Judaism beyond many of his contemporaries. That is to say, this guy was really religious. If you were Jewish and had met Saul, who later became Paul, you would have found him to be intelligent, pious, moral, and very passionate about the things of God. He would have been patriotic. He would have rallied against moral decay and those kids these days. Probably been keep off my grass guy. And he would have had very clear opinions about this fraud named Jesus and his followers who defame the name of God. Kind of like a first century culture warrior. Paul is making it clear. I am the last person you would expect to do this. And I am the last person that you would expect to to not only see Christianity spread, but to like lower standards? Are you kidding me? Like he doesn't just say that he persecuted the church, but in the original it says that he persecuted it beyond measure. That is is as as much of a superlative as you can get in Greek. Like I did the thing. I was persecuting beyond anyone else. There's no one who could have done it worse than me. That was me. He's not looking for Jesus. 
He wasn't trying to get on his team. He's not climbing the bandwagon. He didn't even have sympathies for his ideas. Paul hated everything to do with Jesus, and he found Christianity to be not just wrong, but hear me, dangerous. It was dangerous and needed to be stopped. It would be unlikely enough to see him as a missionary for Jesus at all. But when you throw into the mix, not only is he a missionary for Jesus, he's going as a missionary to the very people that not too long ago, he would pray every day God would come and wipe off the face of the earth. Gentiles. It is crazy to believe this. What is it that changes a violent persecutor into a fervent evangelist? We'll look down at verses 15 and 16, because Paul tells us. He says, when it pleased God, set me apart from my mother's womb, called me through his grace to reveal his son to me. Now, again, if you were familiar with the Old Testament, as some of these folks would have been, not everyone would have gotten everything out of this, because not all of them would have been as familiar with it. But if you were familiar at all with, with some of the prophets, you would, you would have heard in him saying, the idea of him being set apart from his mother's womb that sounded an awful lot like what happened with the prophet Jeremiah. In, in chapter 1, verse 5 of, of that book, Jeremiah says literally the same things. And, and that he was set apart in his mother's womb to go to the nations, which is another way of saying the Gentiles. <laughs> what is it that changes a person violently opposing Jesus into someone preaching him to the very people he hated. It's grace. I said a couple of weeks ago that this is the central concept of Christianity it is, because the Bible teaches us that we're all in need of rescue. Not just people out there, but definitely us in here. That we're all in need of rescue. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the problem is that Paul, because of his religiosity, and we can argue about whether what, what, what he thought the role of grace was, but we're not gonna, we don't need to do that right now. Paul, because of his religiosity, had thought that he wasn't as in need as those people. That it wasn't true of him. He was the good one. He was the moral one. He had good theology. He used words like salvific and lexicon. Like he was it. He slaved for God. He fought for God. He killed for God. And he was willing to see those sinners pay, or at least not want the best for them. That is, until he realized that he was one of them. He thought, I'm doing this to serve God. What do you do when the fraud that you've been trying to wipe off the earth suddenly says, Hey, Paul. What are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? Like that's, that'll shock you, right? No, 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 you don't get it. I'm, I'm going to take out, wait a minute. What's your name again? I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Oh boy. Jesus shows up and tells him that in all of his real, real, religiosity, he's actually very far from God. And that's the crazy thing about sin. Yet especially if you've been a church person a long time, we tend to just focus so much 
on, on the immorality, on the kind of irreligious side of things. But it can look very religious. It, it can look very moral. Because many of us, even in this room, use our morality to stay far from God. Like, we don't need him. I've got this. Yeah, I needed you when I was in my 20s. Yeah, I needed you when I was in my teens. Yeah, maybe I needed you. I came to Jesus later in life. I needed you then, but I've been doing this a while now, man, and I'm, I'm doing all right. We don't really think we need rescue, not like those people. We don't really think we need Jesus, not like those people. What we need is just some new discipline. I just need to get better with my quiet times. I just need to get better at saying no to things. I just need accountability. That's what I need. I need a better plan. Jesus came, though, to live the life that we couldn't and to die to deal with our sin. You and I betrayed God, and He bore the judgment for that. We didn't need rules then. We needed a rescuer. It's the same thing we need now. Jesus appeared to Paul, and suddenly he saw where all of his religiosity got him. What Steve read to us. All that resume. Perfect PSC candidate. That's where it all got him. But the shocking thing is that when Jesus showed up, he didn't show up to Paul so that he could get rid of Paul. Did he? It's not like Jesus showed up as like Superman and defeated Lex Luthor. It's not like he showed up and said, I'm going to pummel you into the ground for hurting my people. Jesus showed up to save him, to rescue him from his own self-righteousness. Paul could never be tempted to think he earned God's favor after this. This is why, like, like Steve read, like he considered all of his achievements garbage. It's actually a little worse than that, but we're just going to stick with garbage right now. He considered it all garbage in light of Jesus and his cross. And Paul says that he was rescued by Jesus so that, for the purpose of, preaching Jesus' gospel to the Gentiles. Paul is clear. God had a plan before him, and he executed in Paul's life to reveal Jesus to him and send him out as Jesus' messenger. Okay? Still with me? All right. That brings us to verses 17 to 24. Look down there. Paul says he didn't go to consult flesh and blood. He didn't go to Jerusalem. He went to Arabia and then returned to Damascus. All right, what, what is he doing? Basically, he's making the point. When this happened, I didn't then go run off to Peter and get taught. I didn't go run off to Peter and James and John and all those people, that, all those disciples. I, I didn't go off to them to get taught. As a matter of fact, he says this by saying he didn't go to those who were apostles before me. Huh. Did you notice that? Paul is saying... They're the same as me. That Peter, the James guy? Yes, they were apostles before me, but they're not apostles different than me. These guys that walked with Jesus for three years, they received their apostleship from Jesus, and he's saying, well, so did I. They were sent by Jesus with a mission, he's saying, so was I. He then says he went after three years to go visit Peter. And that word visit is important simply because of what Paul's trying to argue. He didn't go there to learn. He didn't go there to see like, okay, here's what I'm teaching. Do you think it's okay? Here's what, I, here's what Jesus told me. What do you think? 
That's not what he's doing. He went there to get to know Peter. He didn't hang out with any of the other apostles. The only other guy he hung out with was James, Jesus' brother. And, and listen, if, if it's saying that's confusing to you and you came from a tradition in which like, that's impossible, right? Because Mary had this thing where she just perpetually was uh, virginal. That's really hard to go with in the Bible because we know that he had brothers and sisters. The town he came from said he had brothers and sisters. Like Joseph and Mary had kids after him. He's the older brother, the perfect older brother. All of his siblings now think he's God. That's weird. All right. These last couple of verses are important for what Paul is trying to get across. Peter was okay with Paul, but he did not commission Paul. Peter was fine with him, thought this was great, but he didn't say yes. And now I am sending you, or we are sending you, or the church is sending you. Paul didn't ask for that. He didn't need that. Jesus had already sent him. And so he's answering his opponents. Right? He's like, listen, the church in Judea, they, they didn't, I didn't see any of them. They'd only heard of me. And what the, what the church in Judea did not say was, Paul, oh yeah, we've heard of him. He waters down the gospel. He lowers the standard to get in the Gentiles. He's just trying to please people. He's trying to build up his own reputation. No, 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 no. What they say is, The guy who was once trying to destroy the faith, he's now proclaiming it. The same faith. Paul's saying, look guys, I am the least likely person to try and water down the rules to make God more palpable to others. I loved the rules. I was really good at them. Better than everybody else. In fact, I was really, really good at them. But God revealed his son to me. God rescued me when I was fighting against him and I didn't even know it. Not only was I sinning in the worst possible way, when Paul says he's the worst of sinners, that's not like a throwaway line, okay? It's not like some false humility. Well, you know, I've got worse sin than you. He's saying literally, I was killing Christians for being Christian. I was killing my brothers and sisters. And I didn't even know it was wrong. I thought I was serving God and God says, and yet in your violent self-righteous ignorance. I rescued you. And then those apostles in Jerusalem, Paul says, like me, they know about me. They're fine with me because we all preach the same thing. Okay. So let me try and uh, apply this uh, if if I can, or at least show us how it applies. Uh, First, by speaking of opposing messages. Probably get a little teachy here at this point. Because it is very fashionable today uh, in scholarship, in, in college, Bible classes, sometimes in, in your high school teachers will, will talk about it in, in some way, shape, or form if it ever comes up, especially when they're talking about world history and they talk about Christianity. It's the idea that there was Jesus and then there was Paul. And you have Jesus who kind of started basically like a reform movement in Judaism and Paul who was really the founder of Christianity. Because the things they say are a little opposed to one another. Right? Anyone ever heard this? Maybe not. Okay, well, you know, here's a, here's a tool in your toolbox if you ever do. So, so what's funny is it goes in a couple of ways. First, there's the Jesus is all for love. Paul's all for authority and rules. That's a good one. But then there's also the Jesus is more Jewish. Paul's really against Jewish rules. So in the same breath, you can go Paul... 
loves the rules and hates the rules at the same time. Paul's argument here and the overriding message of the New Testament is that they, he and Jesus do not have opposing messages. Jesus came and taught consistently that he came for the sick, that it's the sick that need a doctor, and that the well only think they're, they are well, but in fact they're sick. He came not for the righteous, he says, but for sinners. And then showed consistently that that's all of us. Jesus did not come to give us new rules. He came, according to Jesus, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The good shepherd, Jesus says, lays down his life for his sheep. Paul says it too, the life I live now, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says Jesus that God presented Jesus as a, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Right? Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. And Paul says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The gospel hasn't changed between Jesus and Paul. It's not like they're two different things. They're speaking to two different audiences, sure. Jesus is trying to draw people's attention to himself. Paul's trying to draw people's attention to Jesus. But they're saying the same thing. It's still that you and I can only be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is because Paul was an apostle of Jesus, an authorized and spirit-filled messenger sent to speak with the authority of Jesus himself. In fact, listen, if you're here and you're not really sure what you think about the Bible, you have to understand Christians believe that this letter written by Paul, is on all the letters written by Paul, all of the New Testament, all of the Bible, in fact, are the inspired, inerrant Word of God. And so let's not pretend that the red letters are somehow more authoritative than the black ones. All of those letters are equally authoritative. All of those letters are not opposing messages, but the one gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, secondly, we need to talk about an ordained messenger because Paul brings out this line of thought that we all need to wrestle with. Okay? And the line of thought that we all need to wrestle with is simply this, God's sovereignty. Now, that's, that's a word that's said a lot in churches in our tradition, sovereignty. And I know that's not something that if you're not from a, from a, a Reformed tradition that you've, you may have heard a lot, basically what that means is that God rules over all things, that he's, he, 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 he ordains all things. And Paul is clear, God set him apart from his mother's womb. God called him by his grace, and God revealed Jesus to him. Do you know who's doing all of the work there? Because it's not Paul. Paul's not doing anything. God is. Now, we can quibble and say, well, Rick, this is only speaking about Paul's role as an apostle. You know? Okay, I mean, yes, but the point is, is what we can't say is that that kind of thing is out of character with God. Because here he does it. Here he does it. God was the actor. God executed his plan in Paul's life. God was the sovereign. God was the one who chose Paul, not the other way around. And Paul uses this bit of knowledge to make sure people understand that he is not in this gig for his own gain. On his own, he would still be a persecutor. He'll say it in slightly different language in in another letter he wrote, a much longer letter called the Book of Romans, when he says that those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, and those he predestined, 
He also sanctified, and as he sanctified, he also glorified. Our situation is that none of us, none of us on our own are looking for Jesus. Paul wasn't. I certainly wasn't. I had great thoughts on why Jesus died as a political revolutionary and that all this church stuff was a big fraud. God comes to us. He initiates with us. He saves us. He is sovereign even over that. And that's why he gets all the glory. Because our pride gets checked. Because listen to me. If it's not that, then the difference between you and your neighbor, the difference between you and that kid you grew up in Sunday school with, that difference between you and that friend who used to go to this church and has since walked away from Jesus, the difference is that you had your act together and they didn't. You both had the gospel. You were just smart enough to take it. They weren't. The difference isn't that. It's God and it's God himself alone. That is why Paul can make so much of God. Paul had nothing. He wasn't looking for God. He wasn't looking for Jesus. And what this means, listen, I know this can be hard for us sometimes because we think that sounds so harsh, but in reality it's the opposite because what it means is there is no one too far from the grace of God. No one is so far away. It's not like you go, you're having talks and you got family and you're at dinner and you, they, they all you know, go home and you're talking with your wife, oh, this person's so close to Jesus, but you know, Cousin Vinny, eh. you know, Uncle Tom, whoa, weird guy, like he believes weird stuff. He's so far from God, he'll never get there. We pray for God to work in the lives of those we know because if he doesn't, all of us are lost. Here's what else this means. Paul is clear that he was set apart from the womb. But there was a lot of life between being born and him becoming a missionary. Being born and being rescued. There's a lot of life in there, right? There's a lot of story in there. There's a lot of stuff that went on. Some of it good, some of it bad. Some of it you know, that, that he probably thinks, I'm so glad this happened to me, and I'm so glad I had the education I did, and I'm so glad that I had the upbringing I did, and some of it like, I still see their faces when I go to sleep at night. I wish I had never done that. And what he's saying is, is that none of that was a mistake. His education, his background, even his Roman citizenship, God used all of it. He redeemed all of it. Even the zeal. It's not like Paul stopped being zealous. This is a guy who was willing to get beat up, stoned, you know, shipwrecked, and he just kind of gets up. Like, there's a story of him in Acts, like, he gets stoned. And I don't know if you're familiar with the stoning. Stoning isn't using gravel. Stoning is using giant rocks. They sit you in a circle, and they just pelt you with these giant rocks. There's a lot of them around Israel. So they just kind of throw them at you until you're bloody and unconscious. And you know what Paul does? He gets up, and he goes, gotta go back to work. And he walks back into the city, I wouldn't do that. Be like, peace out, y'all. Like, I'm lucky to be alive. Good luck to you. You know, like, what God did is he took all of that zeal that had been used against him, all of the zeal that had been used against Jesus and against his church, and he took it and he said, you know what I'm going to do? Let me show the world. 
I'm going to shine it up real nice. I'm going to sharpen the edges of it, and I'm going to use it to strike right into the heart of Satan's kingdom. That's what he does with Paul's story. That's what he does with yours. Paul could preach to the Gentiles because he knew their languages, he knew their literature, he knew the places where the gospel would make sense to them. And the same is true of you. If you are here this morning and you think your story is best forgotten, whether it's because it had a lot of terrible things in it or whether it's because you think it's just boring. Grew up in the church, I don't know, just... One day, you know, the dimmer switch came on and then later in my life I realized, you know, whatever it is, you understand that, like, you, your story is not best forgotten. You are sent by the God who, that worked in your life to take the gospel to those that only you are uniquely equipped to speak to. I can't. I don't have your story, your street cred, your empathy with those that suffered the way you did. or went through what you did. Maybe the people that you wronged. God rescues us, he reveals his son to us, and then he takes all that stuff in us and he uses that in this miraculous way to see other people come to know Jesus as he sends us to them. Would you pray with me? Lord, let this be true. God, I, I, right now, I just want to pray for those uh, who are in this place and they're carrying tons of shame about their stories. I want them uh, right now, Lord, I pray that you would help them to see the image of Paul for who he presents himself as. And when he says, I'm the worst of sinners, he's talking to people who probably did all the things that we, we've done. Checkered pasts, broken sexuality, Things we've done with people we, don't, we wish we hadn't done. Ways we treated people we wish we hadn't. And then there's good old religious Paul. And Paul says, yeah, yeah, yeah. But did you kill anybody against God? I did. And he still wanted me. And he still uses me. I pray that you would help people who are struggling in that way right now to hear that, to see that, to find that grace, not only appealing, but delightful. And Lord, give us grace to see the ways that you have worked in us to give you the glory because you are the one who initiated with us. You are the one who broke into our lives. And then from that vision, go forward into the world to take the gospel to those who you can do the exact same thing in. Because if you could rescue us, you can rescue anybody. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.